1: My name is Rich Schmidt. I'm here with Piper Underbrink at Purvey Vineyards in Newburgh. It's January 27th, 2022. Piper, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Uh, first question, and the biggest, easiest one to get started, is why wine?
2: Ooh, that's a good one. Um, have to say I've heard it before, but <laughs> um, you know, wine for, for me growing up, it was really a way to learn about the world, learn about different cultures, environments, science, art. Um, you know it was it was kind of a way to talk about a lot of things in our family and so it started at a fairly young age sipping wine with my family at dinner and kind of um using it as a way to talk about sensory experiences historical context um the arts my mom's an artist so it was um kind of a good way to mesh all of our our different backgrounds into um one storyline and so started really young with a with a beautiful appreciation and, and a good experience with wine. And so um, I kind of just just continued loving it and continued fostering that that side of of myself. And um, wasn't until I graduated from a liberal arts school in New England that I was like, uh oh <laughs> everyone tells you to follow what you what you're passionate about. And so um, when I graduated I, I realized I didn't really want to do what I had studied and didn't have a job and so I, um, I thought the wine world would be just a fun a fun place and I thought it would just be a stop on on my life roadmap and uh, fell in love with it and ended up being kind of my my life's passion and goal so yeah roundabout way to get there but
1: <laughs> pretty pretty common it seems right right <laughs> uh, well let's talk about your life before wine tell me about uh, kind of where you grew up and and then where you went to school
2: so I grew up in central Florida on a cattle ranch, a uh, beef cattle ranch, and which is funny because a lot of people in Florida, you say Florida and everyone doesn't realize that Florida is a major agricultural player in the US, um, especially for beef cattle, obviously also citrus. Um, so I grew up on a, a beef cattle ranch that had 2,000 head of cattle and worked cows with my dad. Um, growing up, rodeoed, um, something my mom would always say I should share, but I don't readily share, <laughs> was that um, I was Florida high school rodeo queen. Um, so I, I did the whole, the whole ranch life for sure. Um, and grew up in an agricultural way of living, even though it wasn't um, a crop so much as, a, as an animal.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And um, graduated and like many people, I feel like was dying to leave where I grew up <laughs> and went to school in New England. Um, went to a small liberal arts school in Vermont called Middlebury and studied um, environmental geology and art history. So, didn't realize how much that would play into winemaking at the time, um, but now i am appreciative of that of that background and actually use my geology degree quite frequently, um, especially here in Oregon and in, in this part of my wine life. Um, but after college, like I said, I had no path and n- no job offers. <laughs> and uh, so my father, who is um, a huge wine collector and has been his whole life, um, was someone who instilled that passion for me. And um, we, he suggested that I, I try a Harvest internship. And so he's like, if you hate it, it's six months. You'll never have to go back. And it'll, you'll at least have a job <laughs> and pay for things. And so I was started out in California. and. Um, I start out in the vineyard, and uh, cellar life is is tough, and it's a lot of interns are. Some of them are new, and it's their first year, and I don't think they, uh, myself included, fully understand what you're getting yourself into. <laughs> and so, of the it's a fairly small operation of four interns in the cellar, three quit in the first two weeks because it was just like it's just a lot. It's crazy hours. It's um, intense. It's a lot of lot of cleaning, <clears throat> and so. I got pulled from the vineyard and moved into the cellar and uh, thought I would hate it being inside all the time and I absolutely loved it and I never looked back. Went to UC Davis uh, shortly thereafter for graduate studies and graduate programming. Um, Stayed working in California for quite a while, worked at a couple other wineries. Um, Went to Utah, started an urban winery with a friend. Uh, Very fun, huge learning curve. Um, Really very difficult and like a very odd um, space to make wine right because it's it's a pretty well-known highly religious dry community in general so um total learning curve uh learned a lot more about sales than wine making which is um, not every winemaker's favorite part <laughs> of the job but definitely a critical part <laughs> so that was really beneficial and um yeah i think i just came to the point where i was dying to get back into uh, the wine the wine world, as I had known it in California in a culture that um, had a lot of other winemakers and a lot of collaboration opportunities and um, a space where I could grow grow the fruit again the vineyard's my favorite part of the job and so um, there's not a lot of grapes in, in Utah to be grown it 's not uh, the right climate and so I was really just itching for for a way to get back get back to grapes. <laughs>
1: Well, before we get back to that, I'm curious about your, you mentioned your first harvest experience. Uh, Tell me about that, kind of your first impressions of the work and and what it was that you found you loved about, especially the seller part of the job.
2: I loved how there's, you're never, mainly on a day-to-day basis, you're not doing the same thing. So it wasn't just coming in, clocking in, and I do ABC and then I clock out and go home and I come in the next day and do ABC and go home. Um, Every day was something completely different and um, I think for me it was just such a fun community and and the people that I were around in my work environment were so different um, than I had ever experienced in a work environment before. They are in my experience super similar and yet extremely diverse. So um, we all come together around a shared goal and a shared passion, right? But, um, but all of us have gotten there in a drastically different way, which adds so much more diversity and excitement and um, kind of entertainment to, mm-hmm. to the, your life and to the situation and the experience. And so for me, I think a lot of it was the people. Um, and then on top of it, being able to work in the lab and play around in science is really, really fun, Um, but not just being stuck there, right? Being able to bring art into that environment um, in the way of when you pick your grapes and how you pick them and how you farm them and what barrel selection you you choose to go with all has a very artistic impact. Um, And so for me, working under a couple different winemakers, being able to see they're all bringing in cab from the same vineyard or or you know Merlot or whatever it is, um, and making drastically different wines. Mm-hmm. And for me, I thought that was that was really cool. I think um, terroir is an incredible asset and an incredible um, part of the program as well. But I think it's pretty cool to be able to um, play around with the artist side of yourself in the winery and um, no two wines are alike, which is which is really cool. So I think I grew a passion for that and a, a respect for my coworkers, for the community, um, and just kind of for Earth and, and what what is provided and what you get to kind of play with, right? So it's, it's a hard. The, my first internship was eye-opening, <laughs> which I think everybody would say, right? Like I grew up on a ranch, so um, no shyness around hard work, like grew up covered in dirt and in Florida, sweating all day long, um, working crazy long days, and manual labor was just part of the deal. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that part didn't scare me at all, but um, it's a different game when you're working with a product, not an animal, right? Because for me, you kind of, part of working with an animal is you anticipate what they're going to do. Um, For me, I grew up with that, so I was less scared of them and the outcome. Whereas when you're moving barrels on a forklift and you've never driven a forklift before and it's not your wine, it's a little bit scary. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, even when it is your wine, it's still scary. <laughs> but <laughs> it was just a different experience for me. Um, and it took a little bit of getting used to. Where I worked in Sonoma for my first internship was um, Flowers Vineyard and Winery and they were out on the Sonoma coast back. And um, I believe now they have a have a winery in town. in Sebastopol, I think. Um, But when I worked there, it was the original winery and and, uh, production facility out on CV Ranch Road, so way out there in California. And I had never really been to California, and my understanding of California was like LA and San Francisco, and it's crazy busy, and you always have cell service, and there's hundreds (laughs) of people. Um, That is not the case. I lived in a lean-to barn on the top of uh, a cliff overlooking the ocean, which was really cool. Not as romantic as it sounds, like definitely no bathrooms, <laughs> like definitely camping. and I didn't really grow up camping, so that was uh kind of crazy for me. And, yeah, you'd walk to work and I would go three weeks without seeing anybody but my two other co-workers, and we didn't have cell service. We had really spotty Wi-Fi. <laughs> so for me, that was. Crazy! I was like, "Wow, we're out here. We're isolated. This is nuts." <laughs> so I think that was more of the shock than um, than the winemaking itself. And uh, but honestly, it was a great thing. Like, right? We always say it's best to learn a language in full immersion. Um, and winemaking is its own language, and so uh, we were fully immersed. We, we weren't doing anything else. <laughs> But um, but it was good. You you really learned to either love or hate your coworkers, and <laughs> you don't have a lot else going on. And yeah, it was really fun, fully immersive for sure. At the
1: at the end of that experience, what did you think about? What what did that change for you, kind of your future plan? Did you did you immediately think wine was something you you wanted to do f- for good, or were you still kind of on the fence about what would come next after your internship?
2: Uh, well, I was twenty two. Um, when I left that internship. And I think I was really in love with the romantic quality of wine, right? Where you travel, I was still in that mindset of like, all oh, winemakers just travel the world and make wine in all these exotic places. And you've got to go to all these parties and drink wine with all these great people. And so in that aspect, I was like, this is awesome. What a cool path in life and what a unique path. Um, but in the other aspect, I was like, if winemaking is this remote, like I don't know that I'm going to be cut out for it because you know, at 22, I was like, I want to go meet other people my age and I want to go um, to dinner and I want to go to the bar and I want to hang out with other people and um, I was the youngest at that internship by by quite a bit. There was one other younger guy um, who now is a winery as well in California who was working with me, but he was on the day shift and I was on the night shift. so. We never hung out and I was like, this is this is pretty remote and kind of lonely. I don't know if, if this is the right path for me. And, um, but I gave it another go. I uh, went and was a ski bum for um, the other half of the year in, in Utah and uh, went back to California in the next summer for um, harvest as, again. And, uh, picked a winery that was in St. Helena and so lived in St. Helena and that I mean a small town mm-hmm. but um, other people <laughs> and other interns and I had roommates and so it was um, then I was kind of like oh this is sweet like I could totally do this um, I've always lived in small towns so it wasn't the size of the town so much as like a town at all <laughs> um, and so so once I kind of got that dialed in and, and um, was going to Davis for some classes and stuff I was like this is, this is really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Tell me about the, the difference between those two those first two. Obviously, it'd be, it'd be aside from just sort of the social aspect and the, and the people aspect, what, what did you notice from year one to year two in terms of your sort of a, a, a interest and ability, and also just sort of the difference between making wine in different places?
2: Well, year one, I knew nothing about making wine. Like I didn't, I'd never read a book about making, I mean, I vaguely understood fermentation because I went to biology kind of in (laughs) high school. Um, So very, very, very novice, didn't know anything, didn't know how to use clamps in the winery, didn't know how a pump works. Like every single thing was a huge learning curve. And I think probably most, if not all winemakers could agree that most of the things you learn in the winery, you learn by trial and error. And still now, I mean, um, when I bought most of the equipment in the winery, I should know how it works. And y- you might use it once a year. And so you, can of course, forget. And there's a lot of mistakes that are made every year. Um, but that's what keeps it fun. Right. And so year one, I was I didn't know anything. Um, so every day was really challenging. Um, And fun and learning a lot and the facility that I worked for my first year was, uh, it's not very small, um, but in the scale of the two, year one and year two, it was a lot a bit smaller than than the second winery I worked for. And so less staff, um, kind of a little bit more wiggle room to play around with um, different wines, different barrels. Um, different they were launching a sparkling program for the first time so there's a lot more experiments happening which I loved and a lot more freedom for creativity in the second job in the second year um, I was a little less novice and uh, which was nice because it wasn't just stressful all the time (laughs) it was just sometimes stressful Um, but we increased tonnage Instead of processing like 25 to 60 tons a day during harvest, we were processing like 100 plus tons a day, um, which was mind boggling. I didn't even know that that was possible when I went there. You know, the using these huge um, pumps to, pump, you know, through pipes that are like this big to pump uh, fruit through there to various tanks throughout the winery and like a a very proper um, large scale operation. Mm -hmm. And I'm really, really glad I had that experience. Um, It's not something that I would want to work in in an environment I would want to work in again, Uh, but pretty cool to see how efficient you can make make a place, right? it was a really great learning curve and it was fun because I had a little more freedom in that job because I had more experience and so I could uh, work with different people work on my own um, do different jobs I got to do some stints in the lab which was really cool um, so I wasn't just cleaning I was like actually participating in winemaking and so um, I think that's where I was. I started to kind of realize like, wow, this is, this is what I want to do and this is my passion. Um, and I also just need to work in a smaller scale operation.
1: So, what point did you make the decision to go to UC Davis and, and tell us about your experience there?
2: It was fabulous. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I did most of my programming online, which so way before the, not way, but quite a bit before the pandemic. So, um, online schooling was kind of weird. Pretty hard. I do not envy people in school right now because learning science, um, chemistry, math online is really, really hard. Um, So that I do not envy. And um, that part was a little bit tough. But in general, it was really cool because I couldn't take off fully from working um, to just go to school because you could, there was definitely programming for that, but I needed to keep working. Um, and I wanted to work in, you know, Napa, St. Helena, not so much in um, inland California. And so being online allowed me to, to keep my job that I had and I loved um, and keep learning hands-on, right? I think that's a, that was at least a huge discussion for me when I was, kind of um, wading through the waters of of the next steps in the wine world was is it better to be more educated like a lot of opportunities came up for me to continue my schooling um, abroad and domestically and is it make more sense to go to more school or does it make more sense to um, go get real life experience Um, and i've talked to a lot of mentors and a lot of people in the industry and. You know, every single person said something different, so I was like, "Okay, I just had to navigate this on my own." Um, and I ended up, you know, after Davis not going back to school, which was uh, worked for me, but um, everybody is different, and so, you know, I I think it was really cool to have such access to such great professors that, um, and so much. Wonderful academia knowledge and, and uh, journals that I probably wouldn't have found on my own. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if I would have gone to the in-person programming would have been really cool because you create a different relationship with your professors. Um, having said that, I still go to lectures at Davis a lot. I mean pre-pandemic, I was going like once every two months, probably um, and it's invaluable. I mean, just like any other industry, technology is changing so fast. Um, you know, it's they're they're learning so much more, especially with all the fires and the smoke. Um, it's it's good to be able to have that access. Mm-hmm. California, especially. I mean, with smoke. I mean, Oregon has had just a little bit of experience here and there with with the smoke chain and the fires, um, and unfortunately, California has has had a lot of experience with that. And so. Um, yeah kind of just being able to tap into that as a resource has been really good it was It was a really cool program i I learned a lot and i think um if anything, it just gave me personally more confidence mm-hmm. to go out and be like. I went to school, like I learned this, I went to school, I can do this, This uh, I can figure it out, I have a textbook. I mean, last year was my first year pruning by myself and I was out there with my partner and it, he's like, okay, how do we do it? And I like had my textbooks out. And I was like, well, I think if we wanna do this, we're gonna wanna cut it like this. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's a good thing to have that background and, and know a little bit, but um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think it was a good choice for me, but I think that, um, you can learn all that stuff as well in in working and first-hand experience. And honestly, um, while the schooling is really cool, nothing beats first-hand experience in the workforce in the wine industry because every single thing is different. Mm. Every vintage is different. Every fermentation is different. Every fruit is different. Every bin in your winery, every barrel, like everything um, alters something. It has some sort of an impact and one you know one year the corner of your winery might be more cold because it rained more and now that that's wetter there and like so you know you just got to kind of live it and, and experience it and tuck a little tip into your pocket every time you learn something new and hope you remember <laughs> don't make the same mistake twice <laughs> but
1: so after you mentioned you end up in utah at some point with an urban winery so at what point did that be, how did that come to reality, and, and, and tell us about sort of getting that off the ground?
2: Yeah, so I left for Utah um, after kind of in between a couple fire seasons in California, and I think um, it, I just got kind of overwhelmed and was like, "All right, I'm gonna pause. I'm gonna go be another a ski bum for another year and kind of like reassess and make sure that this is really." what I want to do um, before I invest a lot more time and effort into it. And so went to be a ski bum and I was like, oh, ski bumming do- doesn't pay anything. And so <laughs> you, I had to find some jobs and I was bartending and working at a couple of retail locations. And a, I had heard about an urban winery that was trying to open in, in Park City, Utah. and. Um, had a guy who was a sommelier and a guy who was in like shipping logistics and never been in the wine industry and they were struggling to figure out how to like make wine and how to blend it and I was like, just high, high on my horse for sure. Like not done with Davis, and had like two interns under my belt, and I was like, I can make mine <laughs> fine. I can do this. This is logistically, this will be easy. Like it's just blending. I had no idea what I was getting into, um, and so I cold called them, and uh, they were. I think that they were kind of surprised because. I think that they didn't think anyone would want to like, that an employee was so far down the road. And so they invited me to meet with them and they're also ski bums, just like, I mean, at heart. And so I showed up and I brought um, a bunch of wines from California that I, that I loved and um, that were important to me for various reasons at that time in my life, right? That's the coolest thing about wine. I mean, every, you can like music, I can attribute a wine to um, every period of my life Well, I was drinking, you know, a ton of uh, Banshee and Marine Layer at this point in my life because it was like such a grungy label and it was so different and the wines were so big and bold and I was 22 and I thought that I was big and bold and um, and now I drink like, you know, Chablis and like I'm really into bubbles right now and anything that's not Pinot because so my palate is tired. Um, but you know I, I brought a bunch of wines and I think that was kind of uh, it was a cool way to to start our our friendship and our relationship because you don't you get like you're allowed to have like five wines and they're more than that but you're allowed to have you know like the wines that Utah brings in and. And that's it you don't have access to any new producers or any different producers and so um brought a bunch of wines that that they hadn't had and it was kind of a fun place to talk about it and i started blending for them and worked with them for about a year and a half before i was like i gotta go back to california (laughs) i like i like this but um i want to make wine. like i want to make wine from from the start to finish from the grape to the to the bottle and so um while i loved it it um wasn 't a passion for me, mm-hmm. um, like it was for them and, and they're still they 're still crushing it they 're still doing a great job um, they 've grown immensely and, and i 'm really proud of them but um, but yeah, it was a cool stop on the journey and he as a psalm he's much more focused on wine sales and so um, I learned a lot a lot from that experience in terms of wine sales because i'd never even seen and these big wineries like there are so many different departments and you, I never even had talked to anyone like from the tasting room mm-hmm. or from the sales department, and so uh, it was—it's invaluable now as as a kind of a family-run show where you have to be able to do it all. And so it was—it was a really good experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So tell me about the—I'm just curious about sort of the logistics. Uh, I've never talked to anyone who worked at an urban winery in Utah before. So tell me about.
2: I don't think there's <laughs> any other ones. There was, there was one other one, but I think it's just OTC now. That's yeah.
1: Tell me about getting the grapes and, and, and producing the wine. Mm-hmm. And, and also, tell me about like finding, finding a place to sell. I mean, you mentioned that's where you learned sales. Tell me about finding a, a market for Utah wine.
2: Yeah, well, I think. It's a little bit different here in Willamette Valley, right? Because there's so many wineries. So kind of the the novelty of being like a homemade wine and your town and that's your brand because it's from Newburgh or or whatever, you know, there's there's hundreds of wineries in Newburgh. So there's, you know, a lot of home brands, right? Mm-hmm. So um, that kind of novelty doesn't really exist here, which is why I love it here. Um, there's so many people to learn from, but there it was like, the idea that, that they could have a wine winery that makes wine in their town was like so cool and so novel for so many people. Um, and so I think it was sales, local sales were pretty fun and, and pretty easy because um, it just we we were there was nobody else doing mm-hmm. something like that. And so That was pretty cool. Um, Sales in the state of Utah runs through um, the state department, and so uh, it's all a control state, and so um, that was really eye-opening because you have to go into a room of people that don't really drink and try to explain why they should spend money on your product, um, especially since they're really focused on the bottom line. Which we can all pretend as winemakers that we are, but I think at the end of the day, we're we're just trying to afford our habits, (laughs) Um, and I mean not everybody, but I I think a lot of a lot of us and the ones I've talked to over the years are just trying to keep affording to uh, create their art and keep innovating, and um, so it's that's kind of a weird conversation to have as a as a winemaker is like, well, you should buy it because it's. Awesome, and it's really good, and it's innovative, and here's all the ways that I like am changing the world of winemaking with this bottle, and and they're like, okay, like how much money are we gonna make? <laughs> well, not that much, but <laughs> it's like um, kind of a whole different conversation and um, and an adventure in and of itself, and it it you know I was in my early to mid twenties, and so. Um, that's, that's kind of where I first started to experience um, being a young female in a largely older male dominated arena um, and having to explain why I would be able to teach them something or, or why what I was saying would be even remotely valuable to them. Um, and so that was, a, that was kind of a weird place. Uh, before that, I had gone to a really liberal school where, um, I mean, for the most part, um, sexism and, and ageism wasn't really, you know, it was a place of fostering curiosity and creativity amongst everyone. And so um, I hadn't really experienced that. Same at home. Um, and in the wine world, I hadn't really, I was the intern. So of course, I didn't know anything and everyone was teaching me anyways. And so um, the roles were just were mm-hmm. just different. And so it was kind of the first time that I had to kind of experience that and I I went on to work at a a distillery and distill for for, uh, three years and after this um, in Utah and you know if anything that's that's definitely where I learned that as well I mean at least in wine there's there's a larger um, group of people a little bit more diversity in terms of age and gender. In the distilling world, that is not true. <laughs> I mean, there's now starting to be women in different ages, for sure. It's starting to to be more um, open and, and diversified. But, you know, in Utah, it was, it was not um, at all. And so, I learned that a lot. Um, you learn a lot about logistics. Here, the most logistics you have to learn on harvest is like, well, how do we make sure that not all the fruit comes in <laughs> at the same time? Because there's two of us. Um, and also, like, All right, that fruit comes from that vineyard and it's hot. Like, how do we get it to the winery when it's and keep it cool and and stuff like that? You know, the five miles we have to drive. Um, In Utah, it's like, how do we get the wine from? Washington to Utah, and not just make sure that it's safe, but also how do we get it across state lines, and what are the logistics there, and how do we deal with the government in terms of licensing and um, taxes and everything like that. So uh, that was that was crazy, and thankfully I don't I don't really have to do that anymore. Um, But it was yeah, it was eye opening for sure, and they're crushing it. I think that. You know there's not a lot of other people like them and they're they're still like pushing the boundaries and, and changing the groundwork which is awesome i'm really proud of them i think um it's hard to be the initiator in in a space and so um yeah they're they're killing it so
1: so you mentioned dist- getting into distilling after that you've had a couple of other things you've done uh, t- tell me what what brought you back to wine and, and what was your sort of next wine step
2: well i think i always wanted to be in wine and I just couldn't figure out how to afford to be in wine without um, being on the road a lot. I love traveling. I am also love being at home. <laughs> like, I am a homebody. I love going on adventures. And I'm an extrovert and an introvert equally. Um, so, for me, the whole novelty of like harvest in the US in the fall and then harvest in the southern hemisphere in the spring. Wasn't really appealing to me because it's a lot of time on the road and I love being around my family I love being around my partner like I wanted to um, kind of be in a place that I had some sort of roots and some sort of family and and so um, be it biological family or or made family, right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I always knew I wanted to get back to wine and I just couldn't figure out how to afford to do it in a way that I could stay and not have to keep coming and going and be in the side of the wine world that I wanted to be in, which is the winemaking side and and not so much like marketing or or sales or something like that. Um, So I kept trying to do that. I kept trying to figure out how to make enough money to do that. Um, And I think I always struggled with just, I felt unready. Right? I think we are, like everybody talks about that in terms of starting a business and, and you really do just have to like, that's annoying when people are like, just jump in, you'll never be ready. And I'm always like, well, that's <laughs> annoying um, and not helpful, but it's true. Like now I'm that person. <laughs> you have to just jump in um, and do it and you'll never be ready. Uh, and so I was just waiting till I felt ready to, mm-hmm. to do this and um, was like, well, I should keep doing alcohol. And I left the urban winery and there's not a lot of other alcohol avenues in, in Utah and I wasn't quite ready to leave my family uh, there and so I started distilling because I was the best, the next best <laughs> thing and, and it was really fun for a while and I learned a lot and, you know, I think I, I just got to a point and I grew up a little bit and matured a little bit or right? I was like in my mid-20s so I was still learning myself about myself and so I finally got to the point where I was like, I I think I just have to go, and I just have to have enough confidence and just just do it. So I gave myself a two-year timeline, and I waited till the end of two years, and then I left (laughs) and came here.
1: (laughs) And so, why why here? Why did you come to Oregon?
2: um, Well, when I started thinking about this, like kind of the two-year mark, I had met my partner, who um, is here with me at Purvey and um, helps run Purvey and I, we had met in Utah and we had met er, around a mutual love for the mountains and the outdoors and um, kind of that was always the thing that that held me back in in Northern California and and keeping me from wanting to go back there was that um, I struggled not being close enough to the mountains. Um, not feeling like there was a really strong community of of mountain lovers in the way that I loved the mountains. Um, so you know, I was used to going on mountain bike rides at lunchtime and skiing, and um, kind of my whole life was was centered around that. And so. Oregon has a really good reputation of that, and and after having been here for two years, last year was a little bit of a weird year with the pandemic and starting a business. But um, other than that, I think, you know, this year we've we've definitely gotten outside a lot more and, and having the mountains so close, the coastal range, you know, the cascades, all of the, the volcanoes and the beach. It's an outdoor lover's paradise. And so that mixed with I knew from day one I wanted to make Pinot Noir. There was no question in my mind. I uh, made Pinot Noir my first harvest and I absolutely fell in love with it. And I studied it religiously. I loved the way that, you know, that's all I ever wanted to order when I sat down to have wine. Um, and I've since made, you know, worked at places that make cab and all these other things. But um, Pinot was my, was my favorite thing. So I was like, okay, Pinot Noir, have to have the outdoors. Um, and Oregon was just the, the place to do those things.
1: So before we get back to Oregon, I'm curious, what about Pinot? What, what, what did it for you? What, why was it so exciting to you?
2: Well, you know, Pinot comes with like a real novice, uh, not novice, sorry, novelty kind of folklore behind it, right? It's the heartbreak grape, it's finicky. It's uh, beautiful. It's nuanced. It's complex. It can be so many different things. Um, you know, everybody always says these things, and and it's true. Like it is, it's hard to work with, and but you're rewarded with such an incredible experience, right? At the end of the day, and I think originally it was this folklore that that made me really excited about pinot noir, and then. Um, as I started working with it more, I realized that it was true, and it, it wasn't just this, this story told around a campfire, so to speak, um, but also, you know, real life and, and an incredible experience. And I just have such a respect and reverence for Pinot Noir. Um, we make Syrah as well here at Purvey, and and I don't get me wrong, I love Syrah. Like I always call them like the like ugly stepsisters, right? Because. You know, I, I walk into the winery and I know what, I you know this raw right? Like you can trust it, it's dependable. It's your friend. You go in the winery, you know it's gonna create, you know kind of what it's gonna do. It's never gonna shock you. It's like the good sister that's like, goes to school, does her homework, you know, doesn't stay out too late, you know, comes in at curfew, isn't getting wild. Um, and then Pino's like, who knows? Today could be great and it could have done, the Pino could have, sister could have done her homework and we're all happy um, and then it could be horrible and she could not come home from school ever again and like be out there wild and like calling me at 3 a.m. Like, it was just, it's unreliable, which I love because it's so fun. Every day is a new challenge. You're learning something new. You're figuring out how to work with it um, and you have to try all these cool new innovative things all the time. And um, for me, I love Pinot because of that and uh, and at the same time, it's a challenge, right?
1: Never heard it described quite that way. I like that. I like that as <laughs> like the, the, the trouble yeah. sister. Yeah. That's awesome. And so.
2: it's not always like that, right? Like 2021 was a pretty banner harvest year, right? It was what an awesome year to make wine, which I think we all can agree we deserved after 2020. Um, but, you know, that was perfect. It was a great harvest rolled into a great cellar year and um, it's it's been the best sister ever. Uh, but we've had years where it's like, who knows what we're gonna get. Every day you walk out to the wine and you're like, hope it's working today. <laughs> like, so I think, yeah, it's not always that way, but. A lot of the time.
1: <laughs> so, as Oregon became a focus for you, tell me what you were what you were looking for, what you were considering when you coming. What was your kind of uh, plan? Did you were you thinking I'm going to go be an assistant winemaker somewhere? Were you thinking I'm going to go start my own project? Like, what was in your head, and and how did it end up here?
2: Yeah. Um. Well, my my mom and dad are. Um, business people. They uh, have worked in the business sector their whole lives. They've um, been serial entrepreneurs, starting businesses, um, investing in businesses, helping, um, you know, kind of flip businesses that were stagnant or struggling into um, really cool industries. And so I grew up around that and always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur from a young age. And so I uh, pitched my partner and my parents a whole business plan and a business idea, and you know we all had our monetary roles to play and our our, uh, our parts that we were adding to the to the bigger pie, and we all had our intellectual parts and our emotional parts as well and um, you know for me it was i'd always watched my dad and my mom do all these business deals growing up, and I kind of had always thought wouldn't it be really incredible to be able to do a deal with them um, as a family unit because We're really, really close. I'm an only kid. Um, I grew up with them. You know, we're the Three Musketeers. We've been tight since I was little. And um, I always wanted to be able to do something and leave a family legacy with them. And when I met Ben, Bringing Ben into it was just kind of like the icing on top, you know, and and getting to have um, someone who I look up to and respect so much and and love and cherish be a part of that as well. Um, With my parents, whom I love and respect immensely, you know, it was was just kind of a really cool idea for me and an opportunity as well. And so, kind of pitched the idea that that we should, uh, the four of us, get into a a winery and get into the industry and, and start a Start a winery, and i, I kind of knew that um, I didn't want to start a label or a brand from the ground up. I coming out of the distilling world, um, working with a new brand, it was—it's hard. It's really hard. Um, there's a thousand vodka companies and brand, not more than that. There's millions of vodka brands. Um, so to create a, a whiskey that stands out is is so much more about marketing than it is about the art of. The product, um, and I didn't, I didn't want to play that game. I, I, I just wanted to make really great wine, um, and so I thought maybe it would be easier to do that if there was already an established brand in place. Um, so we were kind of looking at that. We wanted a, a vineyard, but not a crazy huge vineyard because there's. It was agreed that there's one person working. <laughs> um, so I'm, Ben has a full-time job. Um, both my parents are doing their, own, you know, they're retired and doing their own thing. And, and while they're a great support, and I work and actually work here a lot, <laughs> um, it, you know, they they didn't want to be employees. Um, and so it had to be manageable, right? Mm-hmm. We looked at a couple different properties and spaces around and. Um, they were either, you know, what was on the market when we were looking, which was kind of the winter of uh, 2019, 2020, was um, either enormous, like five to 6,000 cases coming with employees um, and all sorts of projects where I was kind of like, wow, this is, this is a lot. Like, I don't know that I'm ready to take on a bunch of employees. Like, I don't even really know what I'm doing. <laughs> How could I have an employee and, um, or a huge vineyard? which would entail that you'd need a team to do that. Um, or they were really beautiful vineyards that were kind of reaching the end of their cycle and, and needed to be replanted or land that needed to be planted at all. Um, so when we found Purvey, it was kind of seemed like a really great fit. You know, It had a well-respected, um, small label. It had you know, a fully working winery a house that we could live in in the interim, um, two acres of vineyard, which seemed really uh, daunting to me at the time, but is uh, really doable for two people to manage um, And so on the weekends. And so, uh, it kind of just worked out really, really well, and we met Mark and Tina through a mutual friend, and they had taken this place off of the market because of COVID was kind of coming back and then they had been trying to retire for for a little while and just hadn't found their out person and i think when COVID hit they were like well <laughs> we're in this for a while now i think we, were, we won't be retiring anytime soon and and um yeah i, I talked to teen on the phone and uh fell in love with her and they became like family and so um they felt really comfortable that their baby that they had been nurturing since the early 90s and started the Purvey brand in 2000 as uh, a husband and wife duo was going to another small family owned operation um, and so it just it just worked out really well
1: yeah definitely interesting timing I'm, I'm curious yeah. <laughs> I'm curious what added complications the timing of that added for you I mean what in terms of what you were thinking in terms of re- realistic goals and, and, and that Buying it right at the beginning of, of a pandemic, what did that change about how you were going to approach your, your sort of first few years in the in the in the new mm-hmm. role?
2: Yeah, um, well, we didn't do any tastings that first year, which kept me up at night of, a little bit, um, but also was now looking back on it really great because I. Was trying to learn all the other aspects of the business um, and the property, and so it was nice to not have to also be giving tastings. Um, also, we didn't have any wine to sell, so I don't really know <laughs> what we would have done with tastings. It was kind of nice that we couldn't give tastings anyways because we had nothing to sell. So um, it, it worked out, uh, which is the bane of like every new new uh, winery or, or owner or anything like that. So it actually kind of worked out in that regard. It made um, learning the business a little bit more complicated. Um, Ben's family is um, immunocompromised as is um, my mother. And so at the time, she was going through some cancer treatment. And so um, it made it really complicated to have temp employees or um, even work with the previous owners since they were, you know, living their everyone was living their own lives. And so um, it was a little bit hectic to try to kind of navigate how to work with one another. Um, But other than that, you know, it it kind of worked out in our favor. It gave us kind of, um, it was almost like putting pause on on some things that, you know, would have taken away from us learning the vineyard, the winery, the fruit, the style. Um, We could really focus in on that and and hone our craft before we started trying to figure out how to do tastings. all of our sales are direct to consumer, and so to our wine club, and, and we were so lucky that, you know, the wine club um, really responded well and accepted me um, pretty well, and and you know we because we had all of this time that we weren't running tasting room events, we could I could talk to the wine club members, you know, for an hour on the phone and and answer all their questions and um, explain who I was and my background and why they should trust me. And, um, you know, I think that unfortunately, their ha- turnover in the, in the industry has, um, tend- has tended to be a lot to larger monopoly style brands, um, which has created kind of a, a distrust of turnover in general, right, of a lot of wineries. And so when um, we announced that we were taking over, immediately the response was you know oh my god you're going to change everything nothing will ever be the same the wines are going to be completely different we had a relationship with the previous owners and now we don't know you and and it was really easy to just say like we're we're just as small come i come have coffee with me in my living room like it's the same same experience in the same style and um you know it's just my partner and i and and when you call our phone, you still just get one of us. <laughs> like there's um, no one else to answer. <laughs> so I think um, having the time to really cater to, to the club members and, and mm-hmm. become friends with them, like Mark were, was uh, really beneficial for us. And and actually is, is really cool. I mean, I love. You know, I always say that I have like a thousand friends, um, and it's so nice because it's fun to be able to answer the phone and say, Oh, hey, how's the kids? How's your husband? You know, and and with COVID, it's, it's really been one of those things where they have someone to talk to as well and they're like, wow, it's, been, it's the first time I'd ever answered the phone with someone I didn't innately know and they're like, yeah, it's been hard. And you're like, I feel you. I agree. It's hard. Like, Talk, talk about it because that's okay. Like, it, It's good to do that. So it was nice to be able to offer that for people and, and create a, a bond with our, with our Purvey family. It's, it's been really nice. So other than that, we haven't really, I mean, we haven't been able to do that many events which has been a drag, you know, and, and meeting people in Newburgh has been complicated for Ben and I, you know, right? We're like 30 and we moved here in the middle of a pandemic and we don't have kids um, and we work from home. So, you know, he would be normally not working from home, um, but is currently and So you would normally go to the bar and meet people that way, but you go to the bar now. Well, at the beginning, you couldn't even go to the bar. <laughs> and then now you go to the bar and people are still like, you're like, hey, how are you? And they're like, why are you breathing on me? Like, why are you talking to me? So it's kind of been like an adventure in the terms of meeting people, but um, but at least you have the wine community, right? Like everybody, wineries have um, extended their arms and and really taken us in, which has been really nice.
1: Tell me about the about the business. You mentioned trying to like have kind of trying to understand all of it. Uh, what what did you find here, and what? What, what did you find that you expected, and what did you find that maybe you didn't expect? And, and what are you, what, what are you looking to build on? What what, what is coming next, uh, based on what you've sort of what you've done so far?
2: That's a really good question. Um, well, I think, I think we, I've lo- one thing that I've really learned in the last couple of years is that. It does not matter how much you prepare, you're always behind. <laughs> like you, like you can. I spent, You know, this year was going into our. This is January of this year is starting our third harvest here at Purvey, um, and I was like 2021. I was behind the eight ball. Like everything I was learning just like a week late, and so I was like, all right, I'm going into 2022, and I'm going to be way too ready. Like I'm going to be dialed for whatever we're doing in February and the beginning of January. Um, And then probably like a lot of people, January hit me like a ton of bricks and I was like, oh my God, it's already January, whoa. Um, So no matter how dialed you are, you still just, you got to wake up every day and keep going to work because it may not be how organized. I'm I'm a Virgo, I'm very type A, like I like lists, I love lists, I like checking off the list. Um, It gives me happiness. Um, and I kind of had to let that go, right? Because there's, I say one and a half employees here because Ben does have a full-time job, and so he's he works his ass off. Um, but he's also has another job, so he's not here a lot. Um, And so you kind of have to just let it go. Like, not everything will be perfect. Mother Nature uh, is going to bring whatever she's going to bring. And, you know, not every day is exactly how you'd like it to go. And um, how do you work within that, you know? Like, how do you um, alter your plans for the day in the middle of the day uh, has really been a, a critical learning curve for me. And I think also, you know, learning how to grow a business quickly and sustainably um, is something that we're, we're doing going forward, right? We, 2020 was a notably low yield year for a lot of people, us included. Um, and so we came in expecting to make about 700 cases and we made 400 cases. Um, so that was kind of a crazy year. And 2021, uh, kind of a similar situation, You know, but we did make more, about 700 cases. And then um, we recently purchased a vineyard in Ribbon Ridge. Um, I guess not that recent anymore. In June 2021, feels like yesterday. Um, And so, you know, that's 15 acres coming on, or excuse me, 13 acres coming online um, this fall. And so we will easily double, close to triple our, our production this year. And so it's like, all right. We should probably prepare (laughs) now. (laughs) So um, it's all really, really cool. You know, that's the best part about the wine industry. It's moving really, really fast, especially Oregon, right? You know, um, whereas Napa has been entrenched for a really long time and and, uh, they're growing, but not quite as rapidly because they've, you know, they've kind of, um, not manufactured, but um, built out a lot of uh, their growing room. So Oregon, not so much. Oregon is, always been a formidable um, wine-creating space in the market, but at the same time, it's, I think, really, really growing super fast. I mean, like, mm-hmm. Boulanger buying Ponzi, you know, people are um, moving really quickly in, in Oregon. And so it's cool in a lot of ways, opens up a lot of opportunities. Um, and also it's really scary, right? You know, we've we've all love it here and, and it's our home. And so. Um, the idea of it getting bigger and busier and um, is scary on a personal level and on a business level. I mean, you've got to be kind of excited because it's going to bring a lot of opportunity. Mm-hmm.
1: So tell me about your wines. You, you mentioned kind of the complication of taking over a brand that has an established style, has an established uh, membership base, and not wanting to necessarily change things too much. But obviously, you're going to make the wines you're going to make. So tell me about balancing that. and and of what you're finding your wine style to be and wine philosophy to be?
2: Conveniently, (laughs) Tina Hammond, who is the original winemaker, and myself have very similar winemaking styles, which is really interesting, right, because we have vastly different backgrounds, vastly different lifestyles. Um, We are completely different people, um, but our philosophies about winemaking are, are very, very similar. She's super traditional and pretty old school in her winemaking style. I'm a little bit more open to innovative um, ways of making wine. Um, well, in a lot of ways that we think of as innovative now are actually have been original winemaking <laughs> techniques, right? Like clay pots, etc., and amphora um, are so innovative, uh, <laughs> but are the original way we made wine back, you know, billions of years ago. So. Um, you know, that made the transition really, really easy because we have very similar styles. So, you know, it was easy to slide into this um, really traditional Burgundian style winemaking philosophy because uh, I respect that and love that as well. Uh, so making the Pinot Noirs has been um, fairly easy to um, have our wines kind of be similar. Um, so that wasn't too bad. Where we started, where kind of the, the learning curve for myself was that, you know, well, she never made any whites. Um, I love Chardonnay. I love white wine. I think white wine is incredible. So, um, you know, it was, I was kind of like, all right, how do we phrase? I was nervous about bringing on a wine that our wine club had never seen before. And um, like all wineries, we have a very specific demographic in our, in our wine club. And so I was a little bit nervous and honestly, um, mm. We probably should have jumped in a little bit sooner, but I was like, I don't know, um, let's be careful. And uh, we jumped in, we made a white wine last year, it's in barrel now, and um, I told the wine club and unanimous excitement, um, which was really cool. I was like, oh, oh, all right. Well, then let's throw in like Viognier, let's do like something really crazy. Um, and so it's been really cool. I think that they are, for the most part, really excited as well. and. And they're not naive. They know that there will be some changes to come. And I think um, it's more that I had to get comfortable myself Mm -hmm. um, with making changes. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's it's hard when you see that it's worked for a long time. You're like, oh, it's kind of hard to make a change because it works. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think what we've really, really harnessed and, and dialed in on this year, specifically 2021 and 2022, is how can we be more efficient? How can we, you know, when there's only two of us, how can we run an extremely efficient operation? We don't have tons of space, we don't have tons of employees, um, but we want to. We're going to make double the wine. So, what does that look like? Mm-hmm. What do we need to do in the winery? What do we need to? Is there equipment that we need that maybe is not considered traditional? And is using more science intervention, um, but is gonna make cleaning barrels like a thousand times faster, right? Because we don't have all day. Um, And so getting comfortable there, it's honestly been so fun bringing on this new vineyard, and Ribbon Ridge is gonna do the same thing. You know, um, Tina predominantly only made Pomard Pinots here for Purvey, and we have just opened up our whole world to, you know, four new varieties or four new clones of Pinot Noir. how fun is that? We're gonna do some blends. We've got some clay going in the winery this year. You know, it's, that's, that's what I love about winemaking. And, and I think she loved that too. And, and um, they'd just been doing it for so long that they got tired, mm-hmm. which you get tired. <laughs> like, I get it. <laughs> so um, we're just bringing a little bit of, of fresh air and starting, starting something cool.
1: You'd mentioned earlier, obviously, uh, kind of your crash course in, in sales and in how it's not every winemaker's favorite thing to do. I'm curious what you have now that you have a brand of your own. Um, what what are your what are the strategies? Uh, what, what's working for you? What are you gonna, what are you thinking of in the future? And what have you found about selling wine that's maybe spe- specifically challenging versus selling another a different kind of product?
2: Well, I think what I've seen is that sales has changed drastically with the pandemic for everybody, not just for the wine industry, also for, I mean, we've seen what's happened with lumber, and you know, you can't get anything that's made overseas anymore. And you know, my my partner, both of us love biking, but he used to own a bike shop and, and race competitively and it's like getting bikes is so hard and and crazy. You know, we have friends in the industry like, oh if you want a new bike, it's like they're they're working on 24 months from now. So it's it's just you know the pandemic has really altered the way we sell things and buy things um, purvey conveniently I, I wish I could say that I saw this coming and I sought out only direct to consumer wineries. Um, I didn't. <laughs> i't I, I didn't love sales, and so I knew that I wanted to be more direct to consumer than distributed just because um, I enjoyed that more. Um, but you know, it just conveniently worked out that Purvey does 100% of its sales in direct to consumer. And with the pandemic, that was just a really, really safe place to be because we weren't dealing with restaurant shutdowns and thus not being able to distribute wine through restaurants or bars um, or, you know, even on and off premise is, is both really hard because a lot of liquor store people were afraid to go to the liquor store, just like they were afraid to go to the grocery store. And mm-hmm. a lot of states you can't order liquor online um, or for curbside, so it was um, we weren't impacted drastically there. And you know, I think going forward, I always kind of thought as we grow, we'll do more distribution on and off premise, um, and having lived this now and, and experienced it for the last couple of years, I, I don't know that that will ever, I do know that that will never become a huge part of our portfolio
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, by choice uh, strategically. I think that it is too volatile um, and I, I don't know that I have enough trust um, in the future not having these pandemic situations occur more frequently. Um, so or you know, whatever the variants are with, with COVID, you know, shutting it down, you know, with Omicron shutting it down again after we've just been out of Delta, you know, it's it's just too volatile um, to feel safe, I think. And so for us we'll we'll stay very focused, direct to consumer. Um, as we make more wine, I think it would be really cool to have very strategic distribution points, right? Um, because it is fun for our wine club members to go to their favorite restaurant and see our wines on the list. You know, that's, that's, um, a really cool experience for them. That's a cool way for us to gain new members. Um, so I do think that, that select distribution is in our future. Purvey has always been a very cult, uh, focused winery. We have, you know, our, our diehard followers. And other than that, nobody really knows who we are. And, um, I was a little worried that that was going to be a hindrance Mm -hmm. and honestly having lived it now for a couple years i think that it is such a honor um and such a cool kind of way to operate because it makes our job more fun we get to kind of play around a little bit more and we get to create really cool relationships with awesome clients you know it's um it's been really a kind of a cool adventure i was a little worried but it it actually has been I would do it again (laughs) yeah
1: even during a pandemic you would do it again
2: yeah yeah i think um yeah even you know direct-to-consumers are really i think people were starting to move further away from from dtc sales um like 18 19 um and then everybody just came right back because that's the easiest way to sell wine right now and uh, people love it because it gets shipped right to their house. They don't have to interact with anyone. Uh, and I love that. I love when wine just comes to my house and I don't have to do anything. That's great. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that we'll see, see people kind of be a little bit more timid to jump back into the, the distribution world. And especially if you're small, it's, it's hard. It's, it's expensive to distribute wine. And if you don't, if you don't have a huge company, um, it doesn't... It's not, always the best economic choice. Mm-hmm.
1: Earlier you mentioned the, the, the wine community here, and, and, and I'm curious about, you mentioned get, kind of getting to know it. I'm curious about getting to know uh, the wine industry, a famously collaborative and uh, physically close uh, industry that's been sort of separated for the past couple of years. How have you gotten to know your neighbors and your, and your, uh, and your peers, and um, what have you found about the Oregon wine community so far?
2: Well, everybody's super welcoming. Um, We just started meeting people by going to tastings, kind of. uh, When we first moved here, where everyone was in shutdown. But then, kind of when 2021 rolled around, people started kind of uh, opening tentatively. And, you know, Ben and I were dying to see anybody that <laughs> that was different than <laughs> each other. So we were all about, we we're like, we'll risk it. We'll be your guinea pigs. <laughs> like, we don't even care. Um, and so we went to a lot of tastings, and, and we still go to a ton of tastings. I think, um, well, first of all, I love going to wine tastings, I think they're immensely fun. Uh, and you know and then when you think about it from a work perspective it's a great way to learn and to meet people and uh, to try new wines and see what's out there in the industry and so twofold they're really fun um and so we started going to wine tasting we started to meet people in the industry and everybody has been so nice um in our direct circle you know we've we were lucky to meet hazel fern like the day we moved here the previous owners were good friends with them and so they are like you know, here's another young couple doing the same thing. You should know them. Um, and it's so funny because everywhere we've gone, every single person has been like, well, have you met Hazelfern? Like, have you met Ryan and Laura? You should go meet them. They're like in your circle. And we're like, yes, we know them. <laughs> so it's actually really, really funny. Um, but it's been so nice. to ju- It's just nice to have anybody, mm-hmm. you know, when you move somewhere new. Uh, but it's especially nice to have someone that's in your industry. Like, I know if... You know, we're we're small. We don't have a backup destemmer. We don't have a backup uh, tractor. So if something happens in the middle of harvest, you you need to know a few people, and like everybody knows that we would in an instant help out in any way that we could. Um, And so it's cool to to know those to know people like that. Um, We hike up through Medici all the time. It's the back of our property. You know, they're great as well. And um, Oliver Springs, we we met recently as well. And And I think uh, it's starting to be a lot easier to meet people as as everybody gets a little more comfortable with the new normal, um, right? The new normal. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Um, But you know, people are starting to come out a little bit. And honestly, I have to say, we most of our friends are brewers because they, they're never really shut down. You know, brewers are the hearty bunch. And uh, so we, we would go and they always have outdoor seating. I don't, I don't know if that's like a requirement of breweries, um, but every brewer I've ever been to has some sort of outdoor seating already in place. So they were just ready for the pandemic. Um, and so, you know, we met wolves and people are great. Um, I've been out to Crowing Hen, um, Michelle and Ryan are wonderful people and, and it's been really fun to meet them and restaurants as well, you know, like we try to get out as much as possible and I, I found Oregon to be immensely welcoming um, and, and a really it feels like home. And I'd heard that through the winery grapevines um, when I was looking for a place and California isn't not that way. Um, but you, it takes a lot longer to find the right people,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and once you find the right people, then you have your tribe, right? And they are fiercely lo- loyal to you. And I, I have such incredible mentors in California that I've made through living there. But everyone always talks about how friendly Oregon winemaking is and, and how friendly everyone in Oregon is. So um, I was glad to get here and kind of see that that's that's the truth. And you know, we've uh, when we ended up at Ribbon Ridge, we met our neighbors immediately. People were putting. You know notes in our mailbox saying like come on over you know we'd love to have a glass of wine we'd love to meet you and we're sandwiched between fabulous people up there and it's been just really nice and you know they'll they'll just stop by you know our neighbor up there stopped by over here and was just like oh hey like you know you i heard you were talking about how you you're not you know you've only pruned a couple years and so he's a vineyard manager and he's like i thought i'd come over and see if you need any help I'm like, that's awesome. I was like, yeah, I need a lot of help. <laughs> like, that's great. <laughs> and uh, you know, we end up half a glass of wine and, and his wife is incredible. And so it's it's just, you know, people checking on you and saying, like, are you okay is really nice. Because in harvest you're everyone's tired, everyone's in the same boat. Like you all you wanna do at the end of the day is have a modello with anybody that's not your direct partner (laughs) whom I love and is a great working partner and life partner but like you get to the end of working like a 16-hour harvest day and you're like, I can't look at you. (laughs) I need a break. (laughs) He would say the same thing. (laughs) So it's nice. It's really, really nice to have friends.
1: I'm curious about, um, sort of this is sort of a general question, I was thinking about it specifically for, for winemaking, but sort of general for, for all of the work you're now doing. Tell me about the, the confidence and at what point you felt, have felt the confidence to do the various roles you've taken on, whether they be working in a vineyard, whether it be winemaking, selling wine, running a business. Uh, at what point have you felt, you mentioned kind of jumping in before you're ready because you have to. At what point have you felt the confidence to say, I'm a, I'm a winemaker or I own a, I own a winery, I, I, I have a vineyard? Like, what, what, what point does that become part of sort of who you are?
2: Uh, that's actually really funny. We were talking about that the other night at dinner. Um, and I didn't make business cards for like the first six months. And everybody kept being like, well, do you have a business card? I was like, no, I, I haven't done it yet. Like, and I didn't do it not because I was lazy or didn't get my stuff together. I didn't do it because I didn't know what to put on it. And I didn't really know. I didn't feel like I had, I was making wine, and I was I Ben and I do all the vineyard work by hand ourselves, and so like I was growing grapes and making wine, and, um, and we own this vineyard and this property and this business, but it just didn't feel right. It felt almost like an impostor to say, "Oh, I'm a winemaker." It felt it's such a big word, right? Like it felt scary and. And uh, I felt not ready. Um, so my first business cards I made just say proprietor. <laughs> and within just a few months, you know, after making those cards, I was like, this isn't right either. Like This isn't, this isn't who I am. This isn't what I do. And that's like the, the last job description that I would ever put for what I do here. Um, and so we started over. <laughs> we made new cards, and um, and now you know it's it's. I proudly say that I'm the winemaker and, and the vineyard steward. But um, it takes a long time to get there. It takes a long time to get comfortable there. I think for whatever reason, um, when you're in the industry, those are big words. Mm-hmm. They're scary words, right? To to say out loud. And so, um, I think once you for me, I felt the shift after we did our whole January 1st to December 30th year by ourselves. And I was like, okay, like I can, I've fixed trellis systems. I have sprayed, I have harvested, I went out and picked fruit for the port. Like we've done every aspect of this business now and I feel confident that I, you know, and and everything went great. And so, um, you know, I think you just get, every time you get, You get to a point where you do something new or you experience something new. And right, like we always joke that since we've been here, so we moved here uh, summer of 2020, uh, (laughs) right after a shutdown. So since we moved here, we have just experienced like unprecedented life, right? Because everything that I've experienced in Oregon, I will like talk to someone who's been here forever and be like, oh my gosh, like I didn't realize that you guys flooded all the time, or you had crazy ice storms, or there was fire here. Like, it's so crazy, I didn't know. Like, oh no, that's unprecedented. Well, that's unprecedented. Well, this experience, this is, I was like, heat waves, didn't know those were a thing. And like, oh, that's unprecedented, that's never happened. I'm like, okay, this is good. (laughs) We've lived through a lot of unprecedented um, experiences here in Oregon. And so, once you've lived through enough of those, you're kind of like, well, I think we've kind of like, I don't think there's anything else that could be thrown at us at this juncture. We probably won't have seen it, but we can definitely figure it out. <laughs> like we've figured out these other 10 unprecedented experiences um, and survived. And so, you know, whatever the next unprecedented thing is, which there will be many um, to come. We'll be fine, we'll figure it out. And I think once you live through some of that, you're like, all right, your confidence does not, the confidence is not a, for me anyways, and how I understand it, is not a fluid thing. It's not a checked box for me. I don't wake up and now I feel like I'm a winemaker and now I have all this confidence in my winemaking ability because I now am that. Um, For me, it's like every day, You know, some days are better than other days where I wake up and I just feel confident. and some days you wake up and feel confident and then something happens and you're like, well, our winery just flooded, so now I don't feel that confident anymore. Um, or, you know, you're like, yeah. Or some days you just wake up and you're like, not today, don't have it today. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just what it is. Um, and I think nobody talks about that, right? Like, everybody's just like, oh yes, I've been confident forever in my whole life and I'm great and, and that's awesome. I wish I could be like that, that'd be incredible. Um, but for me, that's just not the truth. and um, You know i think i think a lot of women probably experience this a lot more because there are so many more hurdles and it's been so cool to be in oregon because oregon has an unprecedented amount of female winemakers um, and kind of always has since the beginning of winemaking here women have played an an immense role and also in the spotlight right like Mm -hmm. women have always played a big role but um, usually quietly in the back and so in Oregon like women have been very vocal and a huge part of the community and so um, to not have to deal with that on a daily basis is awesome. It's so liberating and so cool and um, yeah, I think that really helps confidence every day because you don't have to explain yourself, you just can be yourself. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, So I'm curious uh, now. First for yourself and for purvey and for your, for your work here, what, what do you see as you look ahead? Obviously you haven't really had a normal yet, as you said you haven't had a, you haven't had a 2015 or anything like that mm-hmm. yet. Uh, what's, what's coming down the road for both on the kind of the wine making side and just sort of the business side you mentioned uh, obviously new vineyard coming in. Uh, anything else that you're looking ahead to looking forward to um, with the business?
2: Yeah, I think we're just trying to figure out how to grow it sustainably and how do we bring on new labels and brands without freaking people out that are here and have been here for a long time because we never want anyone to feel alienated or worried about the direction. Um, We've made it very public that we will always keep the original, I call them the core four, but our original four brands that are from this this estate um, and then a Syrah. As well, and so those will always be um, a part of the mix. Those will never change. And for me, that's important—not just for our clients, but also as an homage to um, Tina and Mark, who spent, you know, their entire life, their t- entire adult life farming this land. And and honestly, like every day, I just feel more respect for for them and for you know Hazel, for and for everybody. I mean, we don't have kids. And I could not imagine doing this job and also like being responsible for keeping another human alive. Like there's, that's a lot, that's crazy. I don't, like I have so much respect, so much, and someday we'll have kids and and I will, you know, even have more of a profound <laughs> respect and understanding for that. But when I was thinking about that this morning. We, we woke up, of course, I was late, and then I was late getting to all these other things. And I was like, if I had to sit down and feed a kid right now and like, get them clothed into school at proper time, there's no way that it would happen. Um, and so I, I feel like you know Tina and Mark really really deserve that uh, that homage and, and earned it for you know successfully raising five children and growing a brand and successfully creating what what is on this property today. And so um, those will always stay stay there uh, those wines. And but then we got to play around, right? We're we aren't that family. Um, and as much as we respect them, we're our own people as well. And so we have to bring what we know and love and respect and and our ideologies and philosophies and and into the mix and make wines that we love as well. And that are more to our personalities and characteristics. And also we're making a bunch more wine, right? Like we got ribbon Ridge, we are starting to finally like make really great contacts and, Mm -hmm. and connections with other growers in the community. And that's really important to me. You know, I feel, we recently just discovered Salud and, and what an incredible organization, hopefully working with them a lot more in the future because um, you asked me at the beginning of the podcast what, what my name is <laughs> and my last name is Rosales Enrique My my mom is Mexican. Her whole family is from Mexico City and um, you know I, I think that and working in agriculture has given me such a profound um, respect and um, intentional focus on supporting migrant workforce and i think that when you look at grape growing now that i'm growing grapes as well but i also have a business to to put the grapes through right if you're just growing grapes it's it's kind of a the way that you're compensated for those is is so odd right it's it's totally standard for the industry but when you look at it from like a business perspective you're like this seems so crazy um, and so, uh, the, you know, doing whatever we can as a small winery here to support growers, um, in whatever they need, and you know, um, however I can do that is is so critical to me and um, important to both Ben and I and our families that that we support them. And you know, you can't make great wine without great grapes. So I think that we all should just really love on them and, and support them the best that we can because they're, they're doing all of the legwork, right? <laughs> like they're, they're doing all of the groundwork to, to, so that our jobs are easier. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So, What about for the future of Oregon wine in, in general? What, what, do you see, what, what does the industry look like to you now, you've been here a couple of years, and, and what do you see coming in the future?
2: The industry now, to me, looks like someone in their late 20s, early 30s, right? Like starting to really figure themselves out, starting to get organized and dialed, and um, have you know a direction and a path for their life, and, and starting to get confident and proud of who they are and where they've come from. Um, but it still has so much growing to do, mm-hmm. and I think we've we've really seen that with you know all of a sudden big names are coming in and and not all of a sudden but but more recently are, are starting to kind of make themselves known and um that's going to you know time will tell what that does for Oregon wine but i think you know we're we're definitely that plus you know getting recognized in eu and mm-hmm. all of these things are are putting oregon wines on the map and you know time after time you open a new publication and top of the top of the list of wines around the world are oregon wines and we've all already known that for you know i've known it for a couple of years and everybody else has done it for decades um but now everybody else is figuring it out and um i think that there's a lot of growing to be done and i think that it's not all gonna be beautiful and perfect because no growing is um but i think it'll be really fun and i think it's going to be really exciting for not just winemakers and grape growers and people that are uh, associated with the industry but i think it's going to be really fun for you know, restaurants, bars, um, uh, retail shops, tour company, you know, it's just it has an overarching, you know, reach and that's going to be really cool. I think my only concern is what is going to happen in the future in terms of climate change, right? Everybody uh, talks about that so much and um, whether we, anybody believes in climate change or not. It's such everything is such a hot button issue these days um, but you know you cannot disagree with there being a change especially as a farmer like this is beautiful this kind of scares me we've had 10 days of beautiful sun and no rain in january And the other day I was pruning in a t-shirt like that's a little bit scary right like I'm like on one hand I'm like oh this is amazing and on the other hand I'm like okay I'm starting to get a little anxious (laughs) like a deep breath Um, and and, you know we have the crazy heat waves and we've dealt with fire and all these unprecedented are because of um, a big change that's happening and um, I don't know that there's any way that it is not going to happen I think that it's not about stopping it anymore I think it's more of a conversation about okay how do we work within these bounds, and how do we make great wine and, and what do we do to you know um, not be so devastated like Burgundy was you know last, mm-hmm. last year and the year before, and, or how we were in 2020? Like how can we, um, what do we need to do to farm knowing that this is going to happen? And this is 2020, 2021 heat wave. this was not the only time, and this mm-hmm. is not the last time. and so I think I get a little nervous, but it'll be all right. you gotta keep, you just gotta keep going to work, so. <laughs> Try to innovate the best you can and, and read up, but yeah.
1: Um, so you mentioned earlier that you had asked, had a lot of mentors and had asked a lot of advice and had gotten a lot of different answers in the past. Um, looking back now, I'm curious if someone were to come to you in a situation like you had been in, you know, then, what would you tell them in terms of advice for getting into the wine industry Uh, For sort of successfully navigating some of the hurdles you've dealt with uh, uh, And uh, for like what they what the best way to to kind of succeed in the industry is
2: Well, honestly, I would say something that I definitely haven't mastered Um, (laughs) So do as I say not so much as I do um, but you know this experience And especially 2022, you know, I I don't, I've never really done like resolutions or or anything of that nature or like a word of the year or anything, although I think it's cool. Um, For me, you know, what I would say is don't wait. Just do, like, just go in. You'll never be ready. You'll never feel 100%. I still don't feel ready. Um, And we're doing it. So, you know, just jump in and, and start working, and it will all come together. And with that, trust not just yourself, but the people you're you know we're, I always tell myself like I'm, you're smart, like you've got this, you've found the right people, you've put the right people in place, you know you've encircled yourself with, with my partner Ben, with my family, um, with mentors here in the valley as well as in California, and with the right bookkeepers and the right uh, people who help with sanitation. you know you, you find the right people, you surround yourself with them. Um, I trust that I've picked the right people, and then um let them, let them be there, let them support you, let them help you, let them work for you because you, you pick the right people and, and let, it, let them happen, You know, let it just be, unfold. You know, it's, um, I'm a Virgo, so I'm a bit of a control freak and it's really hard for me to be like, I, I know I chose you and I know you're brilliant and I know I've done all the research and I know that what you're gonna do is incredible, but I'm just gonna like hold on to you just a little bit more because I'm a little scared to let you go do your thing. Um, but once you do, it's it's far. You know, I found that person because I they're better than I am at that job or that task, right, or, or whatever they're bringing to the table, and so um, that's okay. Your winemaking is not a winemaking skill set, right? Like you're a winemaker, you're a grape grower, you're a salesman, you're. Uh, IT person your HR you are a tasting room director like you're everything um, your compliance like you cannot be good at all of these things um, and so recognize where you're not great find the right person and then trust them let them do their job that's what they're there for um, I'm not always great at that <laughs> but I'm trying that's my thing this year I'm trying really hard <laughs> so that's what I would say yeah just let, let, let People that are there do their job.
1: All right. That's all the questions that I have for you. Is there anything I didn't ask that I should have? Anything we didn't cover here today that we should have covered? No, I think it was perfect. All right. Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time, hospitality, and wonderful answers and candor. And we'll go ahead and let you off the hook.
0: Thanks. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast.